0: I hope you all had an inspiring Pentecost weekend just uh, two weekends ago. And now we're looking forward to the Feast of Trumpets just three months from now. And that is on September 7th, 2021. God has called us as the first fruits, and He's given us an understanding of His plan of salvation. That's an understanding that very few on the face of the earth even come close to understanding. I'd like to encourage you as I talk about the God's plan of salvation today uh, to see Mr. Weston's telecast, actually a sermon, on our website, uh, What Does Salvation Mean to You? Uh, just go on our website and click on the sermons and uh, Mr. Weston's uh, sermon, What Does Salvation Mean to You? And another uh, sermon, God's Master Plan Before Time Began. So God has given us an awesome understanding of his love and purpose for each and every one of us, and a whole plan that is revealed through the annual festivals and the holy days. The professing Christian world is confused and deceived, many thinking that they're already saved. They think that all they have to do is just say the name of Jesus, and they're once saved, always saved. They don't know the real truth about godly character. They don't know the real truth about God's master plan of salvation. They don't know how to be saved. So today the world is experiencing the death, has already experienced the death of more than 3 million people for the coronavirus pandemic. And we know that the world is facing other causes for total cosmicide and the extinction of all life on earth. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy stated, quote, Mankind must put an end to war, or war will put an end to mankind. Today, every inhabitant of this planet must contemplate the day when the planet may be no longer habitable. Together, we shall save our planet, or together we shall perish in its flames, end of quote. Sixty years after President Kennedy, that threat has only gone worse. When we think about the extinction of all mankind, we think about a deeper meaning and a more personal connection to the word salvation. We pray, thy kingdom come. We're praying not only for ourselves, we're praying for all humanity, that God will save the human race. And save them from total extinction. So we pray that others will be saved and not just ourselves. But what is the truth about spiritual salvation? Professing ministries uh, are trying desperately to get people to save. Uh, They ask the question, are you saved? How many of you have been asked that question by someone? Have you been saved, brother? Quite a few of you have been uh, asked that question, about 32%. We have a, another sermon on our website. I, I, I actually found it this morning on lcg.org by Mr. Rod McNair, by that very same title. Are You Saved? I would recommend you watch it. I, uh, he had a little different appearance uh, at that time. That was a few years ago, uh, January Uh, 2015. and we had some uh, uh, facial hair. You could watch that uh, sermon. (laughs) But the world is confused about salvation. Uh, Satan has deceived millions in professing Christians into thinking, all you have to do is say Jesus' name and you're saved. Once saved, always saved. You don't have to do anything else. They don't know how to Change. They don't realize that there is a, a process of salvation. Well, we, we, when we really understand the truth, we realize once saved, always saved, is true once you really are saved. That is when you're in the kingdom of God. But well, we'll talk about that. So, turn to Psalm 51. So, what is salvation? When do you receive it? How do you answer the question... Have you been saved? Or are you saved? Psalm 51. I hope you read this often but and pray that God will create in you His perfect character. Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So God is creating this masterpiece of creation. And that's perfect, righteous, holy, godly character in you and in me and every one of us. But you need, you have your part. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So David obviously had God's Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. The title of this sermon today is the joy of your salvation. Many of you have experienced that joy at baptism, right after you were come up out of the water and you realize all my sins have been forgiven. I've got great joy today. I've been saved from the penalty of death and from all my past sins. Let's first talk about physical salvation. Many of us have experienced life-threatening situations um, uh, how many of you have gone through what you experience as a life-threatening situation and feel that God intervened and saved you from death or something close to it? Wow, quite a few. I'd say that's a good uh, 65% of you have experienced that. I know we've all been through certain experience in auto accidents and, and uh, health issues. Uh, it was 1970 when uh, I we were up in Alaska for the Feast of Tabernacles at Mount Eliasca in Alaska. Bill Gordon and I and a couple other church members went goat hunting after, um, after the feast. And uh, we saw some goats way up on the mountain, so we started climbing up the mountain. And I got to one place where it was 80 feet above the ground, and I had just an inch to, to keep my toes on, and I could not go up. And I couldn't go down, and I was just, oh, you know, what can I do? Well, thankfully, our uh, Alaskan guide uh, said, "Oh, Mr. Ames, there's a little little twig right up above you. Just you just reach up for it, and you can grab it." So, oh, well, anyway, it took a little courage to do it, and I grabbed it, and he grabbed my arm, and I was rescued. Uh, but it was a for me, it was a life threatening situation, and God. Guided me, and I was rescued from that situation. And there were times when I was going through excruciating pain, and some of you and some of our brethren are experiencing that even right now—back uh, pain. And of course, my wife had the uh, ice pack, and that—that and that was before cell phones. And uh, I had a, a a pot and a. a and a spoon, I hang on bang on the pot when to call her attention. I said, "Oh, the, this ice pack is all drained. I need another ice pack uh, for my back to keep down the pain. Well, Dr. Meredith came over one Friday afternoon. I was in bed. I couldn't move, and he anointed me, and I went to sleep, and about three hours later, I woke up, and I wonder, I don't have any pain, and just got up from the, the bed. Can I sit up? Yes, yeah, well, I best sit up. Can I actually move off the bed and sit on the edge of the bed? Yes. Can I even walk? I can even walk. Before that day, I couldn't even crawl. And yet God healed me of that, uh, that back pain. So all of us have gone through those kinds of problems. And uh, God has rescued people from physical challenges. Uh, you're familiar, and I think we've had this in some of our recent sermons on Matthew 14, You're familiar with the story of Peter walking on the water. It said that, actually, Peter said, well, Lord, command that I come out on the water. Well, we were in Israel. When you go on the Sea of Galilee, the tour guide will say, anyone want to try to walk on the water? Well, no. But what did Jesus say? It said Jesus commanded him to walk on the water. So if any of you want to try walking on the water, I wouldn't advise it unless Christ commanded you to walk on the water. But of course, he saw the wind, it was boisterous, and he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus let him drown. No, it didn't. And how many times, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many times have you prayed, Lord, save me, or Father in heaven, please save me? Well, Peter did, and then God saved him immediately. But God also, it's called salvation history. Where you look through the Bible, we actually, the last hymn we just sang, talking about God's great works and how He's intervened in nations, peoples, and cities. I'll turn back to Exodus, the 14th chapter. Of course, we rehearse this during the Day of Unleavened Bread, but it, it ties in so much with being saved And so Moses said to the people, in verse 13, Exodus 14, verse 13, Do not be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Eternal. They needed saving. They needed to be rescued. And see the salvation of the Eternal, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Eternal will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And so there are times when we have to stay still, have the faith and the hope, as we heard in the sermonette, that God will intervene, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. And of course, there's that song, uh, Be Silent and Know That I Am About God. There are times when we are silent and we wait for God to intervene for us. But there are times when we have to act. And so the next verse, verse 15, And the Eternal said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. So there are times we stand still and see the salvation of God, and there are other times when we need to go forward. In verse 30 it says, So the Eternal saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Let's take another example of salvation history in Second Kings, uh, Kings, the nineteenth chapter. Second Kings, the nineteenth chapter. Here, Judah was being surrounded, and uh, Jehoshaphat uh, called a, a fast. And uh, and what did God do? Uh, the people were basically starving. And it said in Second Kings nineteen, verse thirty five. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the eternal went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians one hundred and eighty five thousand. You talk about an army? You know, we did Israel didn't have to have an army at that 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 time, I mean Judah. And when people rose early in the morning, they there were the corpses all dead. That's the new King James Version. The King James Version is a little more humorous. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. And there are other secular histories that confirm uh, that major event. 180,000. Uh, the the angel of the eternal went out and killed in the camp of the assyrians 185,000 and so there are other examples of of salvation history that give us hope and encouragement uh turn to hebrews the 11th chapter of course we have several examples mentioned there but hebrews the 11th chapter and we'll just take a look at one of them at uh, the book uh, at noah Hebrews 11 and verse 7. Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He took action by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And it might have taken him a hundred years to build that ark. Uh, What kind talking about perseverance, as we heard in the sermonette, uh, that was a great deal of perseverance of uh, building that ark probably for more than a hundred years. Well, we'll take one, one more example in Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. Uh, Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. One more example of God's great intervention, where He saved nations, cities and peoples. Second Chronicles uh, 20. And uh, this is the matter of uh, Jehoshaphat. And uh, Jehoshaphat is claiming uh, Solomon's uh, prayer for the protection at the sanctuary, in verses 8 and 9. And, uh, of course, they are uh, totally surrounded by the people of Moab and Ammon and others. As it says in chapter 20, verse 1, they came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And he proclaimed a fast, uh, verse 3. Well, God said back to him, gave an answer to him after that fast and after appealing for salvation and for deliverance from the enemy. Verse 17 of Second Chronicles 20. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Eternal. Who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem? Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Eternal is with you. So he told them to go out against the enemy. But who went out first? I think we've had in Charlotte... Uh, from time to time, uh, a choir or a chorale. And uh, what did Jehoshaphat say? He said, verse 20, middle of verse 20, Hear, O Judah, and in you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Eternal your God. We just had a beautiful special music, I Believe. Believe in the Eternal your God, and you shall be established. Believe His prophets, and you shall prosper. And when He had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Eternal and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Eternal, for His mercy endures forever. So who fought this battle? Who went out first against all this army and all the, against the soldiers? It was the singers. So those of you who are in the uh, we will need you in the future. Uh, you need to have that faith and courage to go out in battle. You're going out first. <laughs> uh, verse 22. Now, when they began to sing and praise, the eternal set ambushments against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Svir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. So the corral was uh, victorious. God gave them a great victory. So here we've seen several examples of God's Salvation history, if you will. But the world still needs needs saving. And you know Matthew 24, verse 22. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh shall be saved. Of course, as Moffat has it, saved alive. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And then you also realize that the environment is going to be Decimated. I won't turn there, but Revelation 16 and verse 3, talking about the seven last plagues, that the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. So from the time of the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Trumpets, you have those nine days, and the whole world would die. Uh, if God does not intervene, of course, Christ comes back just before the Day of Atonement, the Revelation, the 19th chapter, to take the beast and the false prophet, uh, throw them in the lake of fire, and then put Satan away uh, to begin the millennium. So we look at the that God's promise of salvation. Dr. Meredith wrote an article years ago in the Tomorrow's World magazine, May, June 2007, Uh, titled, You Need Salvation. So this went out to all of our subscribers in Tomorrow's World magazine. Uh, One prisoner responded to that article from Norton, Kansas. He said, I've had a lot of time on my hands lately. I've been contemplating when my life is going. An article in the May-June 2007, Tomorrow's World magazine, titled, You Need Salvation, struck me as very pertinent. What I really want to ask about is baptism. Would this be possible for me being in prison? So a minister was sent. Dr. Meredith wrote in that article, and I'll quote from that article, Quote, Millions do not understand their need for salvation. Sadly, many who believe they are saved are not even Christian. Are you learning the truth about salvation and acting on it? You need to be sure. And of course, Mr. Armstrong wrote about the world the way it is. The world thinks it's being saved—that is, the professing Christians—but Mr. Armstrong wrote a book that called "A World Held Captive," and that describes the way the world is today. It's deceived. Satan has deceived the whole world. Revelation 12:9. And I was surprised to find out that actually we have a telecast, Tomorrow's World telecast, uh, by Mr. Wally Smith. Uh, April 2011, uh, called A World-Held Captive. So you might want to check that on our website, A World-Held Captive, telecast uh, by Mr. Wally Smith. So many in this world are slaves to sin, and they're addicted to sin. And the amazing addiction to drug abuse in the United States and other places of the world is absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, why do the drug cartels make so much money? Because they have a tremendous market in the United States. I remember seeing a History Channel uh, program or as a National Geographic that mentioned something like uh, 35% or it might have been 65% of the adults in Alaska are drug addicted. So you think, oh, one city, 35% of the adults are taking drugs and are addicted to it. We have, that's just one of many vulnerabilities we have in the United States. Just incredible. But the world needs to be saved. They're slaves to addiction, slaves to sin. Uh, they need deliverance and they need God's salvation. But there's a confusion over the word salvation. What does that mean? Well, of course, That's a broad term by itself, unless you have a context for its meaning. Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote, Mystery of the Ages, The World's View of Salvation, page 125. Quote, much supposed Christian teaching has been that God created the first man, a perfect immortal being. That when God was not looking, Satan stole in and wrecked this wonderful handiwork of God. Salvation, then, is pictured as God's effort to repair the damage and to restore mankind back to a condition as good as when God first created him. In doctrine after doctrine, they have believed and taught the diametric opposite of the truths plainly revealed in the Bible. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia gives this description of salvation. In the English versions of the Bible, the words salvation, save, are not technical theological terms, but denote simply deliverance. And God's delivered you, God's delivered me, in almost any sense the latter word can have. In systematic theology, however, salvation denotes the whole process by which man is delivered from all that would prevent his attaining to the highest good that God has prepared for him, or... In a transferred sense, salvation denotes the actual enjoyment of that good. So I thought that was an unusual comment that salvation, the word supposed to mean, it actually includes the enjoyment of the process. So I'd like to ask you the question, you think about it. Are you enjoying salvation? Remember that David prayed, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your generous spirit. The New King James Version Study Bible says, under salvation. The Greek word for salvation used by Paul literally means deliverance or preservation. In a spiritual context, the idea is rescue from the power and dominion of sin. So does the Bible refer to the gospel of salvation? Uh, turn to Romans, the first chapter. We have your Bibles, Romans, the first chapter. We've had some church members in the past who are kind of upset that any term of gospel that is not the gospel of the kingdom of God uh, is... Uh, Departing from the faith of Mr. Herbert, Herbert Armstrong. Well, what did the Apostle Paul write here in Romans 1, the first, Romans 1, verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now here it's not called the gospel of the kingdom of God, it's called the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? The good news of Christ. So if you put in good news for every time they hear the word gospel, that gives you a, a better understanding. The good news of Christ, and it is the power of God to salvation. So the gospel of Christ, the the news that Jesus Christ is giving, is a power for of God to, to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, The just shall live by faith. So, we honor Mr. Armstrong, but when someone says, if you're not preaching only the gospel of the kingdom of God, you're departing from Mr. Armstrong. They have what we call the either-or fallacy. It's either the kingdom of God or it's not. In Romans 1.16, we see it's the gospel of Christ, the power of God to salvation. Ephesians 1. Turn to Ephesians 1, verse 13. And so we have different descriptions of the good news that God reveals through the whole Bible. Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians 1, and starting with uh, verse 13. Ephesians 1, verse 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Uh-oh, uh, that's not the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of your salvation. It's the good news of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So God is using the expressions of good news in various terminology. Uh, describes it in various ways. Uh, some years ago, I had a commentary, Prophecy versus the Gospel. And the one critic attacked my commentary because the last sentence in that commentary said, Thank God for the true Gospel of salvation and His coming kingdom. And he said, Well, well Mr. Armstrong said that you have to believe that the, uh, the Gospel of the kingdom of God. <laughs> well, of course. What you're addressing here again is the either or fallacy. It's not either the kingdom of God or the gospel of salvation. It's both. And all the terms, as Jesus said, the the gospel does not contradict itself. The Bible does not contradict itself. The terms gospel harmonize with the kingdom of God. In fact, you have several gospel descriptions here. And uh, the gospel of the grace of God. We just saw the gospel of your salvation. That's good news. Uh, So anyone anyone that is a critic is also criticizing the Bible. Of course, we know that the main message that Christ brought in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, was he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and said, repent. And that's a part of the message many miss. But we have the gospel of the grace of God. That's Acts 20 and verse 24. So that's a good news of the grace of God. The gospel of the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. The gospel of your salvation we just read in Ephesians 1 verse 13. The gospel of peace. Ephesians 6 and verse 15. So this matter of either or fallacy is, you know, comes down to uh, works and law, or like in James in second chapter, uh, faith and works. You know, it's not faith or works, as James says in James two verse eighteen. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Oh, no, they're two opposites. They're not compatible. Oh, yes, they are compatible. James says, Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and are troubled and and tremble. So it's not either or. It's both and. And even William Barclay in his uh, commentary on James uh, says, Not either or but both and. It's not just thought or action. It's thought and action. It's not prayer or effort. It's prayer and effort. It's not faith or deeds. It's faith and deeds. And we can go on with law or grace. So when we discuss it's not law or grace, it's law and grace when you understand the context of it. So, What is salvation? Salvation is deliverance, it's perseverance, and it's God's grace. And all of these descriptions of various Gospels harmonize with the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. They're not in contradiction to it. They support the Kingdom of God, Gospel, Good News, and they harmonize with it. Now next I want to talk about the three tenses of salvation. Salvation. Salvation is not just a one-time event, as the Protestants have it—once saved, always saved. It's past, present, and future. There are three tenses. We turn to Romans, the fifth chapter, which you're very familiar. Uh, Romans, the fifth chapter, and uh, here we have the future salvation. Romans 5, and this whole section is so inspiring and encouraging. Uh, starting with verse 8, Romans 5, verse 8, but God just demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That's the future, we shall be saved. For if when we were enemies, we're reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, how shall we be saved? We shall be saved by His life. Yes, Christ is alive, and He's here in present spirit today, and He's on the throne of God as our high priest, ever making intercession for us. So we have the future, and of course, what's another verse that is future? Matthew 24:13 He that endures to the end the same shall be saved. That's the future tense. So you have the future tense of salvation. Now there's a present tense of salvation. Turn to 2 Corinthians the second chapter. 2 Corinthians the second chapter. We've been saved of our past sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we've been saved from the death penalty. Second Corinthians, the second chapter, and uh, verse fifteen. Second Corinthians, two and verse fifteen. For we are to God the of, fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. A present progressive tense. Uh, it's not that the salvation is already complete. We are all works in progress. God is still working with us. We still have a long way to go. I have a, I have a lot more to overcome. And I need need some more years for overcoming, or being saved. And among those who are perishing, so there are those who are in the process even of perishing. And why are we in the progress of process of salvation? Because we must grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. So we are ultimately saved by the death of Christ. If we were, there would be no need to grow spiritually. But we are now being saved. And then there is the past tense of salvation. I've already commented on that several times. But turn to Titus, the third chapter. Titus the third chapter and uh, verse four but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared as Titus three and verse four is God our Savior toward man appeared verse five not by works of righteousness which we have done, not according but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. What's the washing of regeneration? It's a baptism. And so when we were baptized, we come up out of the water. We have been forgiven of our past sins. We have been saved from the death penalty. We have been saved from our past sins. In fact, there are some some scriptures. We'll maybe get to that a little later. So we have the past, present, and future aspects of salvation. Now in Acts, the second chapter, we know about Peter's inspiring commentary and telling people to repent and and, uh, that they would be forgiven of their sins. But turn to Acts 2 and verse 40. Acts 2 and verse 40. So do we have some action to take? with regard to the salvation process. Acts 2 and uh, verse 40. So remember He said in Acts 2.38 that they should repent. Then Acts 2 and uh, verse 40. And with many other words He testified and exhorted them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word are baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So he said, you need to take action. You need to be saved from this perverse generation. And how did they do that? They were baptized, about 3,000 of them. The King James Version says, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. The NIV says, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And what kind of a generation are we in now? Corrupt, perverse, untoward. We're having to face that kind of society. And we pray and call upon people to save themselves from this corrupt corrupt, uh, generation. I mentioned about being saved from your past sins. Let's turn to Romans 3 and verse 23. Romans 3, 23. just to confirm again the matter of our past forgiveness of sins and having been saved from the death penalty, this is a past action. Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. "...being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness because of His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed." God does not at baptism save you so that you are forgiven of your future sins, of the sins that were previously committed." So, so thankfully, God has given us that wonderful freedom uh, from sins that are past. The King James King James version says, "For the remission of sins that are past." So, how do you answer the question, "Are you saved?" How would you answer that question? I could answer it, and you could too. I have been saved from my past sins by the blood of Christ. I am now being saved, growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And I shall be saved by Christ's life. Romans 5.10 So we're going to be saved by Christ's life. We need to focus on our Savior. We'll talk about our Savior for the time being. Let's turn to Matthew, the first chapter, Matthew 5. Matthew, the first chapter. Matthew 1. You know, there are so many titles and names for our Savior. But one of them, of course, is the Savior of the world. And He's our personal Savior. Matthew 1 and verse 20. This is the announcement to Mary that she's going to uh, be... Uh, found with child. Matthew 1 and uh, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Do not be afraid to take Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not in their sins, but from their sins. So he suffered and bled and died. And remember that we read in Romans 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Turn to Hebrews, the seventh chapter, Hebrews 7. And we see. The love and action and concern of our Savior toward each and one of, each and every one of us. In Hebrews 7 and verse 25, talking about Christ as the High Priest. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. So Christ is always there as your lawyer. He's there as your advocate. So thank God for that. And remember, of course, that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's called the Savior of the world. We'll take a look at that here briefly. John the fourth chapter. John 4. That is an awesome Title and responsibility. Savior of the world. All these various religions, they can't save the world. The ones, there's only one, one person who can do that. John 4 and verse 42. John 4, remember the woman at the well went back and told the people of Samaria about the the Messiah. And they wanted him to stay a couple of days, which he did. And he taught them and spoke to them for a couple of days. Matthew 4 and verse 42. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Thank God he is the Savior of the world. And it's also mentioned in 1 John 4 and verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. That's 1 John 4 and verse 14. And we're going to be saved by His life. He is our loving, living Savior. So who is our Savior? The Messiah, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. He's now saving us. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. and He's given us this promise, this encouraging promise. Philippians 1 and verse 6. I know some of us sometimes get a little worried. And you get a little double minded. Well, am I, am I going to make it into the kingdom of God? And yet God gives us the exceeding great and precious promises that you will make it into the kingdom. As he tells us here in Philippians. The first chapter. One of those great promises. And if you're Kind of worried about your salvation, but well, just remember Philippians 1 and verse three. Um, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians, "I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. <laughs> so uh, one of the themes of the sermon today is joy. He makes requests with you with joy. For your fellowship and all the gospel the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God's not going to let you go. He's going to correct you. He's going to guide you. But you need to respond, of course, to that correction and that guidance. And we all face trials. We ask ask God for deliverance. And I asked you earlier before, how many of you, don't raise your hands, have asked God to save you? Let's turn back to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. Uh, King David certainly asked God to save him on more than one occasion. And uh, here, find in Psalm 6, one of those occasions. Psalm 6. Psalm 6, verse 1. O Eternal, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Eternal, for I am weak. O Eternal, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Eternal, how long? Return, O Eternal, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. But when David asked God to save him, he gave a reason. Oh, Why, why should I save you? David gives this answer. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? If you let me die, you're not going to be able to hear me saying thank you and praising you. You need to keep me alive so I can continue to keep praising you and and, and worshiping you. Uh, save me. And, of course, uh, he goes on uh, also in, uh, I think it's in uh, Psalm 7. Uh, Psalm 7. Um, okay. Okay. He says, uh, Judge me, O eternal, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity with me. Psalm 7 and uh, uh, verse 8. So, Psalm 7 verse one O eternal my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. Uh, Psalm 54. We sang this. Uh, hymn, uh, I guess on occasion we've sung it. I, I sing it at home every once in a while. Um, it's actually uh, page 35 in our hymnal, uh, Psalm 54. Save me, O God, by your great name and judge me by your strength is the way the, uh, the hymn goes. Or here it says vindicate me. So when you re- read in the Psalms where God says judge me, it doesn't mean it uh, doesn't mean uh, to condemn me. It means to deliver me, or in this case, vindicate me by your strength. Save me, O God, by your name, and judge me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen up against me. So I enjoy that hymn, hymn number, uh, page number 35. And uh, turn back to Psalm 35. And verse three, Psalm thirty-five. And verse three, In the Psalm of David. Uh, he's asking God to plead his cause, and he says, verse three, also draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Uh, so David knew that God was his salvation. So how would you describe your relationship to God? To realize here, uh, David was close to God, asked him to save him on several accounts. And we know in James 4 and verse 8, he said, draw near to God, and I will draw near to you. That's one of the two initiatives. And of course, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Mr. Armstrong talked about the two initiatives there in James 4 and verse 8. Uh, draw near to god is one of the initiatives and then resist the devil and he will flee from you was the other initiative in the july 2021 uh, tomorrow's world magazine and some of you've already received the june issue but not the july issue uh some of you've got the digital uh june issue for tomorrow's world magazine uh, but I was just reviewing the july issue and uh an article by Mr. Gerald Weston on Examine Your Relationship to God and Christ. uh, The title is, Is God Actually Real to You? Now, of course, this is written to 400,000 Tomorrow's World subscribers, but still church members can take the message as well. Is God actually real to you? It's uh, the July 2021 Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, page 8. And he writes in that, If God is real to us and if we truly believe there is a reward for obeying Him, we will strive to keep His commandments. We will forsake the holidays of this world to put the name of Christ on pagan practices. We will keep His Sabbaths, the seventh-day weekly Sabbath and the annual Sabbaths. We will allow nothing and no one to deter us from obedience to our Lord and Savior. That's part of the message today, brethren, as a matter of Examining yourself and asking yourself, how committed am I to the kingdom of God? Am I going to persevere all the way? As we heard in the sermonette, we have the hope to be on a straight line to the kingdom of God. Are you totally committed? He said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. And I know every, every one of us sometimes are spiritually weak. And we need to claim God's promise. We need to pursue it. Uh, we read, uh, was that in the sermon this morning, about going at the straight gate. Uh, narrow is the way to the to the kingdom of God. So we have to persevere. Turn to Philippians, the second chapter. Yeah, Mr. Weston quotes Matthew 10, verses 32 and 39. But he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. So yes, Mr. Weston concludes the article. Yes, if God is real to us, we will put him first above all else. These words come straight from Jesus himself. So I ask again, is he real to you? Is he real enough for you to obey him and put him before all else? If not, isn't it time to change? So we pray that that article will have an impact on many thousands, if not all 400,000 or more subscribers and their families. Turn to Philippians 2, verse 12. And again, this is one of my favorite scriptures to help us confirm that, yes, we can make it into the kingdom. It's one of God's precious promises. Of course, we have our part in the whole process. We are being saved. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my present only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, God tells us to have that godly fear and reverence, and at the same time, He tells us to rejoice. So I pray every day that I can have that reverence and fear of God, and at the same time, rejoice in the Lord. do will come across that scripture later on. But he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, is that by your own works? The NIV study Bible says this, makes this comment, work it out to the finish, not a reference to the attempt to earn one's own salvation by works, but to a, but the expression of one's salvation in spiritual growth and development. I'm surprised that the NIV is saying, yes, it's a process. You have to develop spiritually. You have to grow spiritually. NIV study Bible. Salvation is not merely a gift received once for all, which is what many Protestants believe. It expresses itself in an ongoing process in which the believer is strenuously involved the process of perseverance, spiritual growth, and maturation. So, what is the answer to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Well, look at the next verse. Of course, it gives us the answer. And I claim this promise many times. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. No, there are weak-willed persons. So the Bible gives an example of uh, several, uh, Jacob and Esau. Is a, Esau was a weak-willed person. And some of us may be weak-willed, uh, but you need to strengthen that will and ask God to help you to strengthen that will because it's He that works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. But we have a responsibility to endure to the end. When he turned to Hebrews, the first chapter. Hebrews, the first chapter. Yes, we've had sermons on perseverance, and the sermon that even today uh, remarked on that particular theme, illustrated that. Hebrews 1, and uh, just to mention here, verse 8, he says, To the Son of Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So even Jesus Christ the Son is called God here. But he's contrasting it to the angels there, verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So you're heirs of the kingdom, you're heirs of eternal life, you're heirs of the earth, you will inherit, the meek shall inherit the earth, and you shall also inherit salvation. Chapter two, but we have a responsibility. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. You know, we get so much Information when the Living Church News and the Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, but I hope they're reading that. I I try to underline. I, I it's an old-fashioned method I use. You know, uh, just going through an article in Tomorrow's World magazine, underlining in ink uh, those particular phrases and and admonitions that are meaningful, and uh, that's that's an old way of doing it. But it's meaningful to me and helps to impress upon my mind the importance of particular admonitions and instructions. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every transgression or disobedience received a reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That's the Laodiceans. They're neglecting A great salvation. But you have to work every day and be close to God so that you don't fall away. You don't neglect such great salvation. And it tells us in in verse 10, For if the fitting for Him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Uh, So, you have a captain of your salvation. So we need to submit to God. Turn to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Again, I've mentioned it certain lectures to the living education students and protocol. And, you know, you need, when all else fails, follow instructions. Well, you, of course, the reverse is true. Uh To prevent failure, follow instructions in the first place. I've told you before, I think it was my freshman year, and Mr. Herbert Armstrong in a a Bible study of the Shakespeare Club in Pasadena said, now you need to memorize this scripture. You need to know this. And I think he was talking mainly to uh, the freshman class that had come to Ambassador that year. Uh, Psalm 25, verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Yes, we're disciples. We're students of Christ. We're teachable. Hopefully we're teachable. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Turn over to Psalm 27. Psalm 27 and uh, verse 1. And of course, this is one of the... Uh, Popular choral songs. The eternal is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The eternal is my strength. The strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Yes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So when God tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and tem- trembling, ask God to save you. Ask God to have him work in you both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Because he promises, as we read in Hebrews 7.25, that he can save you to the uttermost. This is the King James Version. We're called to do God's work. So what should our daily attitude be? I mentioned the reverence of God, the fear of God. We have several sermons on that. We could have another sermon on that soon. But what did Paul write in Philippians 4, verse 4? Apparently it was one of Mrs. Armstrong's favorite scriptures. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And remember the Apostle Paul was writing this from prison. And he uses that term rejoice throughout the book of Philippians several times. So what is your daily attitude? Should you rejoice? How do you serve God? What is your attitude in serving Him? Of course, He came, Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So we can have a joyful attitude. Yes, there are times to mourn. We know that. And there are times when we enter into verse trials, but we count it joy, even though we're going through a trial. But Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise, a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. What should your attitude be every day? Serve the Lord with gladness. And he also pronounces a curse on those who don't serve him with cheerfulness. We might just turn back there to Deuteronomy 28, uh, verse 47. Deuteronomy 28. The blessing is cursing. Imagine what he's saying here. You need to appreciate all the wonders and blessings God gives you. Deuteronomy 27. uh, Deuteronomy 28 and verse 47. All these curses are gone upon you. Verse 47. Deuteronomy 28. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Are you serving the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart? If not, it's a curse. And all these curses will come upon you. And you shall serve your enemies, he says in verse 48. So attitude has to be one of rejoicing. One of serving God with a cheerfulness and gladness of heart and to serve Him with joy. In fact, joy is what of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's the second fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long suffering. So we all need to be re- reflecting and producing the joy of service and the joy of God's Spirit. You've heard this before, but I want to emphasize it again. How is it that you grow spiritually? You serve God with gladness of heart, with joy and cheerfulness of heart. Mr. Armstrong emphasized the vital key of serving God in his work. In his co-worker letter of November 18, 1974, Mr. Armstrong said, And God has given us the work to do the very means, as the very means by which we may grow spiritually. And God has given us the work to do as the very means by which we grow spiritually, so we may enter His kingdom at Christ's coming. In 47 years I have observed that only those whose hearts are fully in the work continue to overcome and grow spiritually and endure. Through the years, I, with those added for their part in the work, continued to announce the wonderful news of the coming kingdom of God and all that message embodied. Never have we sought to get, but always to give the good news of God's truth. So, brethren, I hope that we are committed, and I hope from This day you will reflect on your own attitude. How committed are you? Are you 100% committed to the kingdom of God? Are you trusting that God is going to save you? He started a good work in you. And he's going to complete that work in you. So we need to be doing the work of God. We're going to complete that work to the very end. We're called to do the work of preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God but it is also the gospel of your salvation, as we read in the Scriptures. It's the good news of your salvation. And Daniel 12, verse 3 says, Those that are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So God has given us the work to do the very means by which we may grow spiritually spiritually, And turn many to righteousness, which the work is very powerfully doing. And when will the complete salvation take place? When will we finally be saved? Turn to 1 Corinthians the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians the 15th chapter. We know that that's when we will be saved from mortality. We will now inherit immortality at the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. And verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be saved, changed, in a moment of twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on corruption, and this mortal must put on uh, immortality. So then when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Many in the world believe that salvation is only a past event. That you accept Christ, and that's it. You're saved once saved, always saved. But we know that salvation is a past, present, and future process. So if someone were to ask you the common question, are you saved, or have you been saved? You can answer. I have been justified, redeemed, and saved from my past sins. I am now being saved as I grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and I shall be ultimately saved by Christ's life. Dr. Douglas Rennell's World Ahead commentary we had read in the announcement said, Staying focused on the glorious hope. And yes, we need to stay focused on the glorious hope. Though God has given us freedom from slavery to sin, He's given us the promise of eternal life. As it tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 13, these all died in faith, and we could say even Christy McNair and others. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So thank God for the gift of salvation. Thank God for the awesome plan of salvation. So let's rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and let's always pray as King David prayed, restore to me the joy of your salvation.